This is Mortification of Spin, a bully pulpit from the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. We can continue only with your help. Visit mortificationofspin.org to make a donation or call 1-800-488-1888. Welcome to the Mortification of Spin Bully Pulpit, the shorter podcast of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. I'm your host, Carl Truman, Professor of Church History at Westminster Theological Seminary in Philadelphia, and I'm joined by my co-host, Amy Bird, the famous housewife theologian. Uh, Our other partner in crime, Todd Pruitt, can't be with us today because apparently, according to a text I just received, uh, he's at the hospital waiting to pray with somebody. Sounds inherently unlikely, but we'll take him at his word. Uh, Amy, good to have you on the program. Thank you. Good to be here. Well, we're airing on New Year's Day, so the first thing I want to say is a Happy New Year to all our listeners. Those of you who thought we'd be banned before the New Year have thankfully been proved wrong, despite popular demand. Uh, today we want to discuss an issue there. The, uh, the presenting cause, if you like, will have probably disappeared into the celebrity gossip sphere by now. Uh, but we want to talk about the issue of speaking about homosexuality in the public sphere. A couple of weeks ago, uh, the one of the main characters in the popular TV program, Duck Dynasty, uh, I have to say the quintessential West Virginian docudrama, uh, got into some trouble for effectively paraphrasing certain passages of the Bible when referring to homosexuality, created something of a media firestorm, and once again raised the issue of uh, well, well, a number of issues. One, the issue of freedom of speech. A number of people misinterpreted, I think, the reaction of the station uh, that suspended him as a result of his comments as an attack on freedom of speech. Of course, freedom of speech, as protected by the First Amendment of the United States, refers to uh, government suppression of free speech. Uh, private companies have every right to to hire and fire whomever they want relative to speech issues. The other question, though, that is perhaps uh, of more importance, but was somewhat neglected in a lot of the blog comment on this, is how can Christians appropriately, firmly, forcefully, but uh, sensitively express the Bible's uh, teaching on homosexuality within the current public square? Freedom of speech is one thing, Truth of speech is another, and style of speech perhaps uh, is yet a third. Uh, Amy, I wonder if you have any uh, initial comments on, on any of those points. Yes, I do. I, I'm, I'm just thinking about the whole domain of sexuality in general. And I think that um, we concentrate so much on heterosexual versus homosexual and the obvious sin in homosexuality that we kind of fail to miss our opportunity to really just talk about the godliness of our sexuality. Um, Our culture promotes such a genitally focused view of sexuality. And so I believe so much of our conversation is just about sex. And while sex within the context of a biblical marriage is certainly a, a wonderful expression of our sexuality, I don't believe that sex is the ultimate expression of our sexuality. And I'll tell you why. When we are on the new heavens and the new earth, we won't be having sex. 
but I think there I will be more womanly than I've ever been before I could ever imagine now. And then also, you know, you have your singles, a single woman or a single man is just as much of a sexual being as I am as a married woman. So I I really believe that our ultimate expression of our sexuality must have an eternal value and it must be Christ glorifying. Yeah, it's very interesting that the comment you make there on the the genital fixation of Mm -hmm. much modern sexual discourse, both Christian and non-Christian, tends to reduce uh, sexuality to to a merely physical act and also introduces into the argument a a strong aesthetic factor. Uh, One of the Mm -hmm. things that was striking about some of the discussion that, that came out of the uh, the Duck Dynasty uh, debacle was the the use of the yuck factor as yeah. a means of, of discussing ethics. That connects very much to what I see as, as a strong aesthetic sensibility in modern ethical discourse that we're not so interested in truth these days as we are interested in things that are, that are tasteful. Mm-hmm. But when applied to sexuality also does reinforce this, this genital uh, fixation. And reduces uh, sex and sexual activity to to that of, of, of mere of physical pleasure, rather than seeing sex as having uh, a meaning because it fits into part of a larger. I hate to sound postmodern here, but because it fits into <laughs> into a larger part of the narrative of what it means to be a, a human being. Uh, that sexual activity is is the crowning point in many ways of. Yes a long-term, committed, sacrificial, two-way relationship between a man and a woman. It is not uh, a recreational activity. Mm-hmm. Do you have any comments on that? Yeah, I mean, I think that I think the yuck factor is used because it may be a good natural law argument, but it's really not our best argument as Christians. Um, in Ephesians 5, we learn that the covenant of marriage represents Christ's love for the church in a very mysterious way. And I believe that our sexuality must do the same. And it kind of reminds me of Rose Zaria Butterfield's book, The Secret Thoughts of an Unlikely Convert. Um, She talks about when she became a Christian and, and learned that her lesbian lifestyle was a sin, she knew that her sexuality wouldn't be healed by just trying to be attracted to men. She realized that, you know, even though she was the professor of women's studies at Syracuse University, she really had no idea about womanhood at all. And so she actually sought out three women in the church she was attending that she really thought represented womanhood well to her. And she met with them and asked them questions. So I believe that even as a church and um, as Christians, we really need to be educating (laughs) one another better and the whole doctrine, should I say, of our sexuality and God making us man and God making us woman, our design. I talk a lot about that actually in the fourth chapter of my book. Yeah, nice that you got a little plug in for your own book there, Amy. Uh, (laughs) 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 But uh, I mean, I think again, you're you're touching on some very interesting issues here. One of the things that I think the modern, for want of a better word, gay rights movement or, or sexual identity movement has got right is that that sexuality is very important to to human identity. Who we are sexually, profoundly, 
affects how we interact with the world around us, how we think of ourselves. Where it goes wrong, I think, is it makes that absolutely foundational, if not utterly definitive, of who we are mm -hmm. and is therefore very reductionist. And I think, again, you, you touched on the issue of natural law. The problem with natural law arguments is that and I'm not unsympathetic to some aspects of natural law, but the problem right. with a lot of natural law arguments is they can sometimes be little more than common sense presented with an objective scientific veneer. And as we all know, common sense is, is profoundly culturally shaped. So what appears to be natural in one context might be profoundly unnatural uh, in another social context. And the other thing is that natural law cannot ultimately penetrate to the heart of what it means to be human because humanity has a supernatural aspect to it humanity is made in the image of god and that transcends nature and therefore arguments built on natural law or on what is perceived to be natural even if our minds were not darkened by sin even if our cognitive faculties were were pristine would still not be able to penetrate in and of themselves to the heart of what it means to be a human being, because to be a human being is to be made in the image of God. Right, and I think that um, you know this genitally focused view of our sexuality um, tends to objectify people, and it's very dehumanizing. So I think as heterosexuals and as Christians, we need to be uh, countercultural and how we're teaching and discussing sexuality. Yeah, I think it reduces women from a man's perspective simply to the level of, of objects for, for sexual gratification, which yeah. is, I think, the sinful tendency of every male mind I've ever come across. Mm -hmm. That is how we tend in this fallen world to view women. Uh, and therefore, arguments, you know, again, like uh, Mr. Robertson's, that, that seem to lean heavily on the yuck factor and on a genital uh, construction of sexuality and sexual pleasure, they are doomed to be self-defeating and reductionist, I think, in the long run. I agree. And, you know, Carl, I think I want to um, close things up by reading the end of a prayer that I've kind of been um, praying from the Valley of Vision. Um, the prayer's titled, Belonging to Christ. And at the end it says, By reason I see a thing is so. By faith, I know it as it is. I've seen thee by reason and have not been amazed. I've seen thee as thou art in thy son and have been ravished to behold thee. I bless thee that I am thine in my Savior, Jesus. Amen. I really think that points to what we should be glorifying in our sexuality is being made, as you said, in the image of God and glorifying our Savior, Jesus Christ. And with that, I want to... Wish our listeners a very happy new year, and we'll see you next time. This has been Mortification of Spin, a podcast of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. The Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals also publishes Reformation21.org, ChristWordCollective.org, and PlaceForTruth.org. To learn more about the Alliance, visit AllianceNet.org or call 800-488-1888. We can only continue with your support. Make a donation at mortificationofspin.org or call 800-488-1888. That's mortificationofspin.org or call 800-488-1888. Thanks for listening.